Hello, and welcome to Check It Out with EVPL. I'm your host, Lori, and I'm joined today with... Jamie. And Rachel. So, Rachel, you're new. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, sure. I am a facilitator who works in the Popular Materials Center here at Central, um, and I primarily work with um, our teens, especially from like Signature School and other groups that come in. Okay, so we've, since you work with teens, you work with the demographic that is primarily most affected by banned books. Is that correct? Yes. they. I've definitely had conversations with a lot of them about it because they see it in the news and they've had, you know, they hear about their favorite books being banned and things like that. And they, a lot of them kind of worry about the day that it might come to affect them and their favorite books. But I think a lot of the teens I talk to are also very privileged to have parents and things that are very encouraging of them reading whatever they want and kind of exploring different topics and things like that. That's good to hear. I know when I was growing up, the way that my family handled it was I could read mostly whatever I wanted, mm-hmm. but just if I didn't understand something, I had to have a conversation with my parents yeah. as to what this was and you know whether or not it was actually age appropriate for me. Because um, my parents did have some oversight, but they were big believers of read what you feel you're comfortable for. Yeah, my parents definitely were very much like, they're very big readers, both of them. So they wanted me to kind of explore and expand on my own and things like that. But I do specifically remember being in elementary school and being very determined to read Firestarter by Stephen King. And my mom being like, you know, maybe with this one, we're going to have some boundaries here. And <laughs> But she like, still let me read it. But she blacked out a bunch of things. She went through and read it and made sure that she was like, you know, maybe not this part. Uh, we had one similar with that. And that was Flowers in the Attic uh, by V.C. Mm-hmm. Andrews. In retrospect, I get it, Mom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So this is a good segue, though. Today's episode is about book banned books um, because Banned Books Weeks is coming up soon, September 18th through 24th, 2022. So we are going to just talk about banned books today. So with banned books, um, what is your personal favorite book that is or has been challenged or banned? I've I've made a point of reading banned books on a regular basis. The first one that comes to mind, though, I don't know that I could identify a favorite because several of them are very meaningful. But the first one that comes to mind is Animal Farm. It's probably the first book that I read that was uh, a banned book. I read it in middle school, and uh, I wasn't even aware that banning books was a thing at that age. But I remember it really. Um, just giving me new insights about how to view the world. Mm-hmm. And and I liked the way they took a controversial topic and different points of view and shifted it a little bit to use animal characters so that they could kind of come at this topic obliquely. Yeah, it's not as a personal confrontation. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Which allowed people to, who might really struggle with confronting those issues head on, be able to sit with them and read and kind of process it in a different way. Yeah, because it's not as personal. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, But there's a number of books that would fall into that category that, I mean, of course, there's Fahrenheit 451. That's mm-hmm. an obvious one. Um, the Handmaid's Tale was a book I've read many years ago. And, uh, you know... Growing up, I just was pretty much allowed to read whatever I came to read. And it it was a ridiculously long amount of time before I realized that were people that were actively trying to prevent people from reading things. I'm a little envious. <laughs> I do notice there is overarching theme in those books that you mentioned about dystopians, mm-hmm. essentially, yeah, yeah. Um, which I knew a lot of banned books were dystopian. 
dystopic. I knew a lot of banned books were dystopian. And it's funny because you mentioned Animal Farm. I was going to mention almost the opposite spectrum of Animal Farm, which mm-hmm. is Brave New World by Huxley. Well, yeah. Love that book. Yeah. Um, and it is similar themes, but rather than being constrained, it is the semblance or the image of freedom, mm-hmm. even though you're constrained. Whereas Animal Farm, 1984. Right. Especially 1984. You know, very that the end of that book really hit me hard mm-hmm. because of, and I, I don't know if I should give any spoilers away. The book is like six it's years been old. out there. All right. but no, every time I read this, like reread that book, I get anxious, like knowing the ending is yes. coming because I'm like, yes. I remember where we're going, and I don't. It gives yeah. me feelings. Yes, mm-hmm. and the very thought that this this guy who realized the the wrongness in the propaganda mm-hmm. and the coercion of thought mm-hmm. was going on that eventually it worked. And in the end, he loved Big Brother. And that final line, I can't read it without feeling a knife in my heart mm-hmm. every single time. What about you, Rachel? Okay, so as much as I love these like more classic examples and dystopias have been like a huge part of my life, I love those stories. But some of my favorite band books, like I... So, like, Jamie, I took some t- – I like to read specifically banned books, and, like, it's something I've sought out a lot of my life because I'm a very, very curious person, and if you tell me I don't need to know something, I want to know it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I did a lot of that, and then I remember I was writing a paper in high school about book banning, and I found out about the book And Tango Makes Three, which is a picture book about two male penguins who raise a baby together, and it, I think was kind of the first time I saw – book banning outside of the lens of more like classic t- like books mm-hmm. that you sort of think of and i think that really opened my eyes a lot to the scope of it um which is really interesting because like we talked about earlier it affects children's books especially like teen books a lot more and now like one of my more recent favorites is heartstopper and i know it's like gained incredible popularity but it has already been facing challenges partially due to its visibility of it being an lgbtq storyline um and a lot of people of course don't like that and that's one that i know i know somebody personally who had like a teacher at a school checked it out from the school library and like actually ruined the pages of the book to get it taken from the library and then ended up getting it removed off the school shelves like permanently that's disappointing yeah and i was like okay so yeah yeah, just close to home because I love that story so much. Well, speaking of kids' books, the one that always sticks out to me is because it's ironically funny more than anything. Um, <laughs> the children's book "Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See?" by Bill Martin Jr., mostly known by Eric Carle, though, mm-hmm. uh, was banned in 2010 because somebody mistook bill martin for a different bill martin and said he was a communist so therefore the book was wow banned by the state board of education of texas <laughs> this is why we double check our sources friends yes double checking <laughs> is a good good thing yes, yes. <laughs> another special mention going back to the classics though is one of my favorites uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest by mm. ken kesey and i actually read that in high school 
most of the books I am realizing that I have read that were banned at one point were because of one specific teacher mm-hmm. now that yeah. I think about it. Mm-hmm. And I should reach out to her and thank her because those are all books I still love to this day. Yes. Well, I saw a statement once and I feel like this is really accurate. And, and it said, banning a book is like wrapping it in bacon and deep frying it. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to make it more delicious. Well, right. It's It's the thing that... Makes people go, ooh, what's that about? Mm -hmm. You know, and I've worked in bookstores and I've worked at the library. And one thing I've noted is anytime a book comes along that's really actively being um, banned or challenged, book sales go through the roof. Oh, yeah. Mouse. uh, Just what was Mm -hmm. it? A year or so ago. The hold list for Mouse was miles long. Yeah. Right. And I was at that time also working at a bookstore and we couldn't keep it in stock. Yeah. Amazon couldn't keep it in stock. Either. Yes. Yes. I, and I was actually just reading about that. So Mouse is a book. It's a nonfiction book, but written as a graphic novel after the author Art Spiegelman interviewed his father about his experience as a Polish Jew under the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And so not unlike Animal Farm, they recreate it using animals as rather than humans for characters, but still with the realistic experiences. And it is the very first graphic novel that won a Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. And yet, because it dealt with those painful, difficult, challenging topics, people wanted to remove it. In fact, one statement that was made about that was they wanted to, why can't they teach a nicer Holocaust? How do you teach a nice Holocaust? Precisely. And and the whole point is some topics are just going to be painful to discuss, but it's the essential part of not repeating the mistakes of history. Yeah. I do think, this is just my personal opinion, that a lot of times books are challenged or banned because it makes the person that is doing the challenging or banning uncomfortable in a way that they don't want to have a conversation about. They don't want to have a conversation about the fact that millions of people died or that maybe they aren't as open and accepting as they think they are. And so rather than accepting these things about themselves, because we're all problematic and we all have issues. Yes. They would rather just make sure nobody speaks about it. Right. It's it's a thing we don't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that lack of conversation is really a big part of it. I know that even in library circles, you know, we talk about intellectual freedom and wanting to like show all points of view and things, but there are still conversations of, okay, but what do we want on the shelves? And a lot of that, I think, comes down to whether or not we are willing to have those conversations yes. because, yeah, a lot of things are from the past are ugly and we won't don't necessarily want to talk about them but in a lot of ways that's why we should yes forgetting these things is not going to help i think kind of goes back to 1984 in a way and how they would kind of manipulate the memories even of the population and they would gaslight an entire population which that actually brings me to a point of i had done some research on book burning or book banning excuse me book burning comes into play too it overlaps overlaps. (laughs) yeah uh throughout history because i'm the history person i like that um so the first instance we actually have of book banning was around 259 to 210 bc a chinese emperor I apologize for this pronunciation. Named Shi Huang Ti is said to have buried alive 460 Confucian scholars because he wanted to control history. So in 2012, he burned all the books in the kingdom. He kept one copy for his royal library. And when he died, he had that destroyed with him so that he could write history from the beginning with him as the first king or emperor. Wow. 
people want to control the narrative yeah. and mm-hmm. they want to control it in the way that makes them look best, but also reinforces their own point of view. Oh, yeah. Yes. they. I feel like it tends to be people that are very pro-book banning, uh, have a specific viewpoint that they think is inherently correct and mm-hmm. cannot be questioned. And that if you are to question it, you are questioning them as an individual yes. and not their beliefs. Yes. Yes. Agreed. And and the way I look at reading difficult things, and there are definitely things that I would find it difficult to read mm-hmm. that would stress me and frustrate me. But the thing is, if I'm not able to re-examine my own thoughts on a subject and either have them challenged or confirmed, depending on how honest I'm willing to be, uh, I'm not willing to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am actually reading a book right now, not been banned or challenged that I know of, uh, by Dave Colin Columbine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reading that because Columbine was the first major news story that I remember happening as a kid. And Dylan Klebold's mother recently put out a book. I wanted to read that. So I wanted to have all the information yes, yes. before I went into it. That book is hard to read. Yes. Mm-hmm. There are times I have to just stop and cry for a yes. little bit. Yes. But reading those tough topics and those difficult conversations like are so important to make sure that this kind of stuff is well known and talked about so it doesn't just continuously keep happening. Right. Well, putting yourself in someone else's shoes by reading books presented from their own perspective doesn't mean you're going to end up agreeing with that perspective, Mm -hmm. but it will give you insight into the things that formed that perspective and help you at the very minimum understand a little bit better even if you don't agree. I've had conversations with people who wanted to sway me to a specific point of view, and they would say to me, I'm not explaining this very well. And I would very gently and very respectfully say, no, I do understand where you're coming from. I do. I just don't agree with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I feel like that's possible. And those conversations can happen yes. and are good for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the next uh, historical book banning that I found is actually kind of backing up what you were saying. Uh, so around 640 BC, a uh, according to a legend, so we don't have any proof of this. Again, the same with the Shi Huangti emperor, um, is that there was a caliph named Omar who burned all 200,000 volumes in the Alexandrian library in Egypt. He said that if the writings of the Greeks agreed with the book of God, they're useless. And if they disagree, they ought to be destroyed. Um, so that religious element is coming into play very early on. Um, and he burned so many books, he provided six months worth of fuel to warm wow. the city's wow. bath. I mean, I've read that meme. You know, you're a book nerd when you're really still upset about the burning of Alexandria. Yeah. And I'm still very upset. About yeah. Well, that. and this isn't even that burning. Mm-hmm. The, the Library of Alexandria was burnt multiple times. Oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> so much more than I was aware. I, of course, knew of the major historical event. Mm-hmm. But I guess that was just the others were the precursors to the final yep. ending. Yep. And then uh, continuing with the religious element in the late 1400s, so 15th century, if you watch the Borgias, you'll be familiar with this character. There is a man named Savonarola, Savonarola, uh, a Florentine religious fanatic, and he was known for burning things, not just books, um, but he was known for taking items of vice out of people's houses and burning it. And 
paintings of some of the greatest artists of Florence. He's the one that created what we call now the bonfire of the vanities. Oh. Um, so he would persuade artists to bring their own art to burn. He would have all these books that people burned. Popular songs were no longer allowed to be sang and had to be replaced instead with pious lyrical hymns. And at the end of it, in May of 1498, one more great bonfire was lit where they burned Savonarola. Wow. Okay. They burned all his writings, sermons, essays, and pamphlets. Hmm. So he started it, and then he, it, it yeah. swept him up. Yeah, he was finished by his own hand, basically. Wow, wow. But, I mean, I totally see that. Mm-hmm. I do. Which, we this- start a spark, and we think we're going to control what comes next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially with this one, I do know a little bit more information about it, because I am a fan of that time period. There were so many political aspects mm-hmm. that he was going directly against the Pope at the time. No matter what time period you're from, who thinks they're going to go out against the Pope and win? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, in the early 1500s, William Tinsdale's English translation of the New Testament was printed in Germany and smuggled into England where they were publicly burned yes. by the London's Roman Catholic bishops' orders. Because the Holy Word shouldn't be translated into a common language. Yes, they thought it was only being Latin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which also creates an education barrier because if you have average people that can't understand it then they can never hold any positions of power where they would have to speak well and they can never challenge what they're taught Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if they can't read themselves then what is being taught to them it could be anything yeah and if they can't read the words themselves then they can never go wait a minute that's not what it said Mm -hmm. it's almost the opposite side of the coin to the religious aspects we were talking about earlier, where he was trying to bring this religious information to the masses Mm -hmm. and was published or punished, excuse me, for that, even though he was trying to spread information rather than limit it. I think this is the first time that we see that kind of banning. Apparently now today, only three original copies of that translated New Testament even exist. I think you made a good point, though, about not being able to read something for yourself to know if what you're being told about it is true. And that's another just aspect of book banning in general, not even just in the language barrier of it, of, you know, people saying this book is bad for X, Y, or Z reason, and Mm -hmm. then taking it away, though, so you can't check for yourself and see what those words actually say. Sure. I mean, it's very reminiscent of 1984. If the state tells you to believe something and you have nothing to s- disagree with it, how else are you going to not believe that? This podcast is really just a 1984 fan club. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to go here and say there was a point in my life when I was in a situation where there was a lot of effort at controlling what was read, what was thought, what was spoken what TV shows were watched, what movies were gone to. And I always resisted that anyway, just that's my nature. (laughs) (laughs) But I would remember hearing book reviews put out by the people that wanted to have those controls in place. And they'd go, don't read this book for this reason. And don't read this book for this reason. And I would always go, why do you get to read it? And tell me why I can't. Mm-hmm. Why can't I read it for myself and decide? Yeah, it's the same idea of your parents saying, because I said so. Yes. Yeah. And and I just, I always resisted that and resented that. It's it's why Banned Books Week is such a, a personally important holiday to me. Mm-hmm. Because it's that intellectual freedom, that decision of, I will 
take in the information. I will process the information. I will ask questions. I will challenge. I will agree. I will disagree, but I will decide. Mm-hmm. And and I hope I always decide based on good, solid evidence and information, mm-hmm. not just because this is what I like, you know, but I deserve the um, ability, the chance, the opportunity. I deserve the opportunity to decide for myself. Yeah, I think everybody does. Exactly. And that is that is the whole point. So there were quite a few book bannings throughout history that were led by religious institutions. I think the most prominent one, at least in Western society, is probably going to be in 1559, where the Roman Catholic Church listed books that were prohibited to its members. But in this year, the Pope Paul IV established the Index Librorum Prohibitorum. And that was a book list that I don't know how long it went on, but it went on for hundreds of years where they would just add and retract books as they felt Mm -hmm. like to basically say no Catholics could read these books. Um, So that is probably the most overarching uh, example that of of book banning I've seen. So I do want to let listeners know that it does seem like maybe we're going fairly hard on the religious aspect of book banning right now. But the context of that is that in this time period, religious texts were almost the only thing that were available to the average people um, or the average person. And they were the most commonly printed and created books. So at that time period, the sample size is pretty much going to be strictly religious because that is the only thing that was really produced. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Because the truth is, Any ideology, whether religious or otherwise, can have its extremist elements that try to control Mm -hmm. what people think or act or read. Sure. And there were examples of censorship before these book bannings um, that would be somewhat, you could make the argument related for example, philosophers in ancient Greek, right. um, people would disagree with what they were saying. So the next thing you know, they are banished for the year. Right. That's the same thing. The only thing is they didn't write it on paper or stone right. or tablet. Right. Moving away from the religious part, though, well, kind of. One more religious one. <laughs> <laughs> so the I think the example that most people think of, though, when they think of censorship and book banning, at least the way that I was taught about it is Galileo. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to teach a heliocentric model of the universe and the Catholic Church saying, absolutely not. Earth has to be the center of the universe because that's what our teachings teach. At the point, at the age of 70, he was sentenced to jail and he had to renounce what he knew. And when he died, his widow agreed to destroy some of his manuscripts. Mm. So did she? We have no proof. I don't know enough, honestly. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I was I was wondering if you were going to drop that. Oh, I but wish. she didn't, or something. You know. <laughs> How cool would that be to be like on this random public library? Yeah. Podcast. <laughs> Let me drop some historical game changers. I, you know, <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, the next big one I think that I can see is probably Charles Darwin's Origin of Species. And it was actually banned from multiple countries, specifically Yugoslavia and Greece. Ernest Hemingway's books were banned by Nazis and burned by them. See, there's some things in which to be proud of. And that is definitely (laughs) one. I would be very proud if Nazis were burning my books. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Badge of honor. Which, speaking of Nazis, uh, 1933 massive bonfires in Nazi Germany, right, right. burned books written by Jewish people, communists, uh, Albert Einstein, Freud, Hemingway, Helen Keller, Jack London. I don't understand why Jack London 
maybe I just don't know enough about him. Uh, Karl Marx, pretty much anybody. Yeah, that's right. I feel like that when people think of banning or and or burning books, that is the picture that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, to go current movies, well, not super current, but that Indiana Jones movie mm-hmm. where he's trying to get that secret journal and he's going through Germany and they're showing those piles and piles of books being burned. Yeah. And I'm like, that is, I feel like for modern people, that is the singular image that we get when we think of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's shifting a little bit just with how much book bans have been in the news. So I wonder if kind of the scope with which people understand book ban is expanding at all, that's just from how true. much the conversation has been going on the past few months or year. That's probably well, true. I think it's been going on longer than that because obviously I've got all this history stuff in front right. of me, but just in my own personal life, um, I remember Harry Potter books being yes. burned. Yeah. Yes. Just random groups of people banning and burning Harry Potter books for being satanic. Right. Yeah. Which also Solomon Rushdie in 1989 wrote the Satanic Verses, mm-hmm. and that book was uh, banned. Not only banned, he had like a fatwa placed against him. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and that's kind of where I want to step in, if you don't mind. Yeah, is um, as I was preparing for this podcast, of course, that attack against Salman Rushdie um, in New York City happened just what was it two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and where. The stage was rushed while he was preparing to give a lecture, and he was stabbed 11 times. Yeah. And he is recovering. Um, the last, I tried to do a little bit of what's his condition now kind of research, mm-hmm. and he is recovering, but they did say he's had some life-altering injuries. Mm-hmm. And so, and um, so, but it's all stemming from that book. Yeah. He wrote a book, and I, I looked that up just to kind of get a sense of, you know, it's it's one of those books that I have intended to read and I have not yet. And so I'm like, okay, what exactly is this book? And this is just from the Amazon page describing the book. And it just says, one of the most controversial and acclaimed novels ever written, The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie is his best known and most galvanizing work. Set in a modern world filled with both mayhem and miracles, the story begins with a bang. The terrorist bombing of a London-bound jet in mid-flight, two Indian actors of opposing sensibilities fall to earth, transformed into living symbols of what is angelic and evil. This is just the initial act in a magnificent odyssey that seamlessly merges the actual with the imagined, a book whose importance is eclipsed only by its quality. And so he basically was leaning in, you know, from his perspective, examining those roles of good Mm -hmm. and evil, which almost every book that we pick up is going to touch on that kind of a theme. Yeah, Yeah, you're telling us about it. And I immediately thought of Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. I love that book. (laughs) And so, you know, he wrote that book. He actually, I remember he had to go into hiding Mm -hmm. because, as you said, a fatwa was um, issued against him. And I guess there's, there's such a sense of, oh, that was 1988. It's been years. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks ago, he he is attacked. Yeah. And so we think it's a small thing to just make sure that people have access mm-hmm. to to information and points of view and, and being able to step back and examine our worldview and uh, different thoughts. And it's no small thing. Yeah. And sometimes takes a great deal of courage. Yeah. Speaking of courage, I think that this is probably going to be the next historical example and the last one that I speak on because it speaks so closely to 
our job and what the library does. In 2001, the U.S. Patriot Act went into play. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. Patriot Act was in response to 9-11, and it gave the FBI power to collect information about library borrowings of any U.S. citizen. The act also empowered the federal agency to gain access to library patrons' logon to internet websites and protected the FBI from disclosing the identities of individuals being investigated. So, when you come to the library and you ask us why we don't have a list of all the books you've checked out, this is a big part of why. We don't keep that information so that if we are subpoenaed, there's nothing to hand over. People have a right to think their own thoughts yes. and read their own books and have a expectation of protection. Yes. And I don't think that personally, I don't think that reading a book, any book, I don't care if it's the anarchist cookbook, should be enough for you to be hyper-focused in on as a threat. Now, if there is activity that is going along with it, say you're Again, reading the Anarchist Cookbook and you're collecting materials that could be used to create a bomb. Okay, now we need to maybe like yeah. look into this. But if you're just reading for information. Well, research is done all the time. And and of course, that's used as an excuse. But legitimately, when people are preparing articles, let's say they're talking about the um, violent altercations that happened in that those times of unrest when, when that book was published. Mm-hmm. Um then, you know, they're going to dig, they're going to research, you know, how realistic was that? How accessible was that? How much was it actually used? Mm -hmm. And so you're going to stray into areas that you yourself would not necessarily promote. Sure. Just as a desire to understand the context of what you're researching. Sure. And just as somebody who doesn't really write very often, but occasionally does for fun, Mm -hmm. the amount of times I have Googled, how does this murder work? Yes. That's honestly exactly (laughs) where my brain went is writers. And I know it's like a long-standing joke, but it's like a real thing that, you know, you gotta gotta check your facts. Yeah. Because if you have somebody die- vital. <laughs> yes. If you have a character die in your book and it is not a realistic death, people will let you know, especially oh, with the internet. Yes. Well, I, I've off because I just have a randomly curious mind and I mm-hmm. will hear a line or see a movie or something will just make me go, huh, I wonder what that would be. And, and I just Google just a quick, yeah. mm-hmm. I just want a quick answer to that. And that's it. And that's all. But mm-hmm. boy, could somebody get the wrong impression <laughs> yeah. from a search history based on those kind of random thoughts that just make me go, huh, what would that be like? You know, mm-hmm. I, yeah. it makes me think of, I, I, I feel like I mentioned this movie all the time because it's a favorite rear window mm-hmm. so he's suspicious of his neighbor right and um he and his girlfriend are talking about it and he's looking across and he goes i wonder what it would take to cut up a human body because of course they think that's what's happened yeah. and his girlfriend looks at him and she goes you're really starting to scare me <laughs> <laughs> but i i feel like that it's a similar kind of situation mm-hmm. you just this thought goes how would somebody do a thing like that because i think that's what my neighbor has done what would that mean what would that take mm-hmm. and people not knowing the context or even a little bit knowing the context would still go what was that yeah <laughs> So that brings us into present day book bannings. With the current political climate, we are seeing a lot more challenges and book bannings recently. So we did want to talk about some of those situations, kind of just clear the air of the information we have on those. So um, one book banning... And these are really, really recent ones. These are like 2021 to 2022. So Central York School District's use of a diversity reading list to ban books 
they didn't use the word banned. They used the word frozen. And these were books that were all, these were books that were selected in the wake of uh, the George Floyd death. Mm-hmm. And books were being added to generate conversation. Yeah. To address these difficult issues, things that are happening, what needs to, where did this come from? What needs to change? How can we grow as a community, as a society? And so this was just a random selection, or not random, but a chosen selection of books that address these issues to start these conversations. And rather than banning outright, they froze them saying, we want to review this list, but they reviewed for over a year until they were challenged because people were saying, you are basically silencing Black voices. Yeah. And and they reaffirmed the freezing. But then when they were challenged again, they released them. Not to get political, but how do you, at any any topic, right? how do you go into a situation where somebody is trying to educate someone else and say, those tools you're going to use for education, I'm taking those away specifically? And feel like a good person at the end of it. Well, I mean, the worst enemy we truly have is ignorance. Mm -hmm. If we are not informed, we cannot make informed decisions. We cannot understand different perspectives if we don't have the information on those perspectives. Mm -hmm. We cannot put ourselves in someone else's shoes and understand why the mindset they have is the one that they have. We don't have to agree with it, but understanding it will only benefit the conversations that we have and help us to have more productive conversations mm-hmm. rather than shouting. You have a much more wholesome outlook on this. Than I <laughs> <laughs> but no, I feel like taking away teaching tools is so much of what book banning looks like right now. Yes. Like mm-hmm. so much of it is this is in my child's classroom. I don't want it in that classroom or even this is in a classroom in a school across the town that I have no affiliation with, but I don't like that. It is a lot of I don't want to see that being used as a teaching tool. Like so often it's, I don't want that specific thing to be taught. Yes. And it seems to be very politicized with certain topics Mm -hmm. currently. And it seems to be going against marginalized groups, Mm -hmm. specifically people of color and LGBTQIA+. It is hard to imagine as someone that has lived for the last 30 years in this society, (laughs) that this is not a concentrated effort. I just remember, I always read books with my children. Like we would sit around, even when they were older, we would read aloud together just because mom's a nerd and she loves to read books aloud. (laughs) And we would come across things that I didn't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. And so we would, I might pause the reading and go, here's where I feel like they're coming from. And here's why I don't agree agree with that point of view. But it was a conversation. It wasn't, uh, I'm going to skip that chapter. It wasn't, and this is what you will think from here on out. Mm -hmm. It was, here's their perspective. Here's my perspective. Let's talk about this. Ask me questions. Mm -hmm. Perhaps part of the issue is that we don't have time for that anymore. We We don't have time to sit down with our kids and have a deep philosophical discussion as to why two boy penguins can be in love with each other. Right. No, but I feel like we should be able to find the time because I feel like a lot of families do still read together. And like, I know, like I said, I work with a lot of teens and one of them was just telling me recently about a book she read and what it kind of taught her about herself and the conversation she was able to have with her parents 
about that and about her own identity and her parents' identities even and their own past, it's still possible. Like, people have to want to have those conversations. But I feel like that's the hard part is because all of us have those things that we're like, we don't have time to do X, Y, or Z. But it's really that we don't find that motivation. We don't make that time because, I mean, I am absolutely guilty of being that person who's like, I don't have time to do this thing. And then I look at the screen time on my phone and I'm like, hey, guess how much time I had to do that (laughs) thing. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and I do think just respectfully that we do have a selection bias because we work at a library we are seeing people that care about reading oh, for sure so there for every example we have of a family that is trying to handle the idea of censored books in a healthy manner we probably have two or three families that don't even think about it yeah Agreed. i think that's true but i just you know the time is there for the families who do want it and sure. i think that that's sort of a lot of how the conversation on banned books should be framed, though, is tilting it to learning opportunities and to making conversations versus just, is it right to ban books? Which I feel like is a lot of where the conversation is and is not at the place of conversation and why these books are being banned and what we can learn from those reasons. Yeah, it makes me think of parents that are trying to help their kids with their math homework mm-hmm. where they don't remember how to do that math because it's been so long <laughs> right. since they've done it. So rather than being able to help them, they just kind of have to be like, I don't know. Yeah. But with the idea of book banning, instead of shrugging and saying, I don't know, mm-hmm. they're just saying, just don't teach it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I don't have the words to describe this idea mm-hmm. or why I disagree with it or I don't have the time to do that. So therefore, just don't include it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that also speaks to the fact that like, I feel like life through your entire life is a learning experience. And I think a lot of people sort of forget that and forget that there are continuous opportunities even into your adult life to learn and grow and have those conversations. And I feel like a lot of people sort of leave that behind Mm -hmm. um, instead of kind of noticing that and keeping it going in their lives. Sure. I think people tend to have an idea when they're like in middle school and high school and college of like what they're going to be when they grow up. And then they reach that level and then they have no plans because they didn't plan anything after that. They thought that was the end step. Mm -hmm. This is just the beginning of a whole new journey. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that are just kind of living day by day, just making it through life. And so they don't have that time and thought Mm -hmm. to put into those topics. All right. So I'm going to talk about another current case. This happened in Ridgeland, Mississippi. A mayor had denied $110,000 in funding to the Madison County Public Library System. And this was funding that had already been approved. Mm-hmm. because they had a selection of LGBTQ books in their collection. And he said, I will not approve this funding until those books are removed. And he cited that he had very strong religious convictions that would not permit him to fund anything that would allow those. The executive director, Tanya Jackson of the library, explained that public libraries are there to serve the entire community, mm-hmm. not just specific aspects of it, not one religion over another religion or one political view over another political view, mm-hmm. but for the entire community to have access to information and told him that the collection reflects the diversity of the community. And he said that the library can serve whoever he wanted, but he would only serve the Lord, which I respect everybody's right to their own religious expression I don't respect the right of restricting other people's freedom to align with your own. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And so um, basically the library began a fundraiser 
Mm-hmm. to raise the money that they had been denied. And they got up to $77,000 in an eight-day period. Good for them. So not only were they able to start meeting that challenge, but clearly they had community support mm-hmm. for that. And, you know, I get people think differently than I do. Sure. I can walk out and find a copy of Mein Kampf in our collection. Mm-hmm. I don't condone anything that that book promotes. That being said, information is important, especially if you understand the importance of understanding our own history. Yeah, because if we don't understand history, we're doomed to repeat it, as exactly, the saying goes. Exactly. Some cliches exist for a reason. They, yeah. they do. And I, I have heard it said, and this is probably a little more accurate, it doesn't really repeat, but it sometimes rhymes. Oh, yeah, I could see that. And kind so of. it's like, like the same concepts mm-hmm. do get pulled forward Mm -hmm. if we continue to pretend those things didn't really happen. Mm -hmm. Sure. And those of those people with a living memory go, oh, no, these things happen. But eventually, the people with a living memory are no longer there to influence what's going forward. And then you have these people who have no concept of what the context Mm -hmm. of those issues were and don't realize the outcome that they can have because they've just forgotten they existed. So, yeah, during World War II, uh, when it was wrapping up, Eisenhower specifically stated that we needed to take pictures of the concentration camps and the Holocaust victims because there would be a time period where people denied that it happened, yes. which we are already entering into. There well, are people not even entering into. That's been, been an ongoing issue. You're correct. Yes. There are people that are still alive that remember going through these situations, mm-hmm. these terrible awful traumatic situations. And there are other people that are just straight denying that it even happened when we have physical proof. So if you... Very 1984. Yeah. So if you expand that idea to book banning and censorship, how much of history have we lost or will we lose that we just don't remember even though it absolutely happened? Right. Well, and we see it through, I call it omission, where it's not really banned but we don't talk about it yes that is i i like that you're saying that that it's there's banned outright we're going to remove this and then there's just the more subtle version freezing omitting Mm -hmm. not talking about the same thing we just call it something nice um but i can think of an example the uh, tulsa race massacre yes i will state right now I don't remember ever learning about the Tulsa no, Race Massacre I in school. I don't think I did either. only learned about that when I listened to a podcast, a history podcast mm-hmm. that I would regularly listen to. And I didn't, I was way too old mm-hmm. to have never known that that event had occurred, but it was never taught to me in school. More embarrassingly, I didn't know about it until I watched The Watchmen on HBO. In the first episode, they talk about it. That was where I learned about it. I was an adult already. It was too late for me to learn about it. I had grown children when I learned about it. So if there is something that happened in our own history that multiple people have never heard anything about because we just don't talk about it, there has to be such a mountain of information that we are missing on top of all this band material. Exactly. And I think it's interesting because I feel like people talk about how, you know, in the future, this isn't going to be the case. You know, you can't just erase things now. But there's so many things that, like, we see erased every day. And it's not book banning, but the most sort of forward in my head example right now is 
HBO Max is going through like a merger and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of shows have suddenly disappeared and even the creators don't have access to them anymore and it's like those shows never existed and it's like are they is anyone going to have access to those in the future are we going to re- like remember that those exist it's kind of a silly example mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like if that can happen what else can be wiped from the right. face of the earth no i think it's a valid point because we talk about book banning because it is banned books week but information can be taken in multiple forms, yeah. including things of that nature. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that last, I feel like this would happen, but that last reel of the concentration camps, mm-hmm. if someone were to be able to do such a thing, you know, it's yeah. easy to remove or hide or destroy information just so people don't know about it. Sure. And it's not even always um, antagonistic. Like, Speaking of something that's not as serious as the Holocaust, um, there's a whole internet corner based or focused around lost media. Interesting. And it it is so interesting. So there are TV shows or cartoons or commercials or anything that people straight up remember. Mm -hmm. They have very solid, vivid memories. And it's not just one person, it's multiple people that will remember these things. But nobody can find that media anymore. It's just lost to time. And it makes me think of a movie. um, So in 1945, there was a movie called Gaslight that came out. But earlier, before that, there was, I believe, a 1940 version of Gaslight that came out with a whole different cast. And when the rights were bought the company that bought those rights decided that they didn't want that 1940 version to exist anymore. So they had supposedly all copies destroyed. We've now found out that not all copies were destroyed, but that was an attempt. Um, we're also still missing episodes of Doctor Who. The yep, original- that's actually exactly what the first place my brain went. <laughs> so there's just all of this stuff that we're just never going to see again, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's so sad that that is happening on its own, but it's even more sad that there are people out there that are attempting to make it happen mm-hmm. for their own reasons. Right. So clearly Banned Books Week and and the concept behind it is very meaningful to all of us. Mm-hmm. And so I personally have, because this is something I do, if there's something I really like, I will develop my own personal holiday about it. If there's a, a figure in history that doesn't really have a birthday holiday, but mm-hmm. I like them, I'll make a holiday out of that day, you know? I hope and, I am one of those people oh, that you make you, a holiday about. I could totally see that. <laughs> there will be knitting and probably a horror movie involved, yes. you know? Honestly, that sounds like a good time. I'll celebrate it too. <laughs> but so, Band Books Week, I have these traditions. I look forward to it all year because it's so important to me. And um, so, what I usually do is I read or perhaps reread a book that was banned or challenged in the past. And I will add a new book to my collection of books that fall under that title. Mm-hmm. So this year, and I was I was debating, what am I going to read this year for Banned Books Week? You know, And with the recent attack on Salman Rushdie, I thought, you know what? I have had that book on my shelf with the intention of reading it for quite a while. So that has brought that one to the front. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be reading that this year. Banning books actually is awesome for sales. <laughs> I, I could not verify this quote, but I saw that Margaret Atwood was quoted as saying, I love banning my books because it's great for sales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she, speaking of Margaret Atwood, who, of course, is the author of The Handmaid's Tale, mm-hmm. I'm going to be adding her book to my collection this year. It's a book I read many, many years ago. I just don't currently have a copy of it in my collection. So that's what I'll be adding this year just to make sure that it's there. 
if you want, uh, we do have a graphic novel depiction of that in mm-hmm. the system as well. Oh. So if you want something that is a little bit more visual rather than That would be literary. enjoyable. Since I've read the book, it'd be nice to explore the book again, the story again, but from that, a different mm-hmm. point of view. Yeah. It's a great book. It's so depressing. Element. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are the books I have to brave through. But yeah. again, I think it's important. And after I've read something really difficult that I felt like I needed to read, I will often read a very nice light palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, it helps me to, you know, keep balance. <laughs> but I'm not going to walk around with my hands over my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going to lean in and, and listen and learn about painful things so that I'm living as a more responsible and informed member of the society I'm in and the society I want to be a part of. Sure. Um, I don't really have a banned book tradition that I do, but you're inspiring me to do that. Um, That's what I'm here for. (laughs) However, I do think I am going to go more towards the end of that conversation where rather than reading a banned book in particular, there's going to be an overlap though. I'm just going to try and find a book that makes me uncomfortable to read. Well, I can guarantee if it makes you uncomfortable, someone's tried to challenge you. (laughs) Exactly. So, so good tradition, good tradition. Yeah. I used to have, be sort of more traditional about it and have like lists of band books that I would create for myself that I would try to read and stuff when I was mm-hmm. younger. And now I really don't do that. Like I try to keep up to date on like lists of what's being banned, especially like most often. But I mostly take solace in the fact that I know that pretty much every book I read is going to be banned by somebody. You know? <laughs> I read a lot of, like, young adult fantasy and things like that, and a lot of that includes a lot of LGBTQ representation, and uh, because of that, I'm like, somebody out there is trying to ban this, and Mm -hmm. I just kind of, I'm like, I'm just ahead of the banners on this now. (laughs) Um, And as far, though, as what I'm reading now that could be banned, I have Genderqueer checked out on Hoopla, um, which was the most banned book last year, according to the American Library Association, and that's one of the reasons I'm trying to read it but I haven't gotten around to it yet, but soon. <laughs> Maybe I'll wait till Band Books Week and that's how I'll celebrate. You know, I I don't know that this one has been challenged, but I could see it. Mm-hmm. I'm finally getting around to reading A Discovery of Witches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And usually anything with that witch, yeah. witchcraft yeah. element like Harry Potter is going to be challenged or banned mm-hmm. somewhere. So I'm reading it because I want to read it. But like you say, I feel like, see, I'm ahead of my time. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if you'd like another one to add to that list, yes. The Once and Future Witches. Yes, I've heard of that <sighs> one. So good. good. And it is very political, very feminist, absolutely going to get banned one day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. So you, I think, had a list of books that are, is it this year's books? It's the 2021 Most Banned Books list. Okay, so the American Library Association has a specific department that takes care of kind of compiling a list of the top 10 every year. And you can actually go back and look at like infographics of like reasons that they were banned and things like that. So even though they have a specific department at ALA dedicated to compiling this information, um, they have done surveys that show that it's possible up to 97% of books challenges and bans are not able to be um, recorded in this way because they are not reported um so this is really just kind of a very basic kind of look at what is going on um as far as book banning goes and um i'm gonna try to say these people's last names um some of them i (laughs) should have looked up earlier and did not so the top 10 most challenged books in 2021 are primarily as Lori mentioned earlier lgbtq or um written or representing people of color um and they are Genderqueer by Maya Kobabe, uh, Lawn Boy by Jonathan Evison, 
All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson, Out of Darkness by Ashley Hope Perez, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, um, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, uh, This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson, and, um, and then the last one is Beyond Magenta by Susan Kuklin. And yeah, they're primarily LGBT. Um, a lot of them are young adult books as well. Um, like you mentioned earlier, the, that's really the demographic that gets hit hardest these days. Mm-hmm. Which the ones that kill me a little bit on that list mm-hmm. is The Hate You Give yeah. and The Confessions of a Part-Time Indian mm-hmm. uh, by Sherman Alexie. Those books have been on the ban list for as long as I can remember. Yes. I'm pretty sure The Hate You Give was immediately banned when it was published at this point. It's a great book, by the way. I think everybody should read it. Now, if you look at, um, so ALA's website also has the top 100 most banned books of 2010 to 2019. The top one is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, and I'm sure The Hate You Give is on here. Let me, yes, The Hate You Give is number 30. That one kills me. And I don't even think that one was out for most of that time. No. And I don't understand why why it's been banned. I understand to a degree people say that it's because it makes, like, white students uncomfortable. Maybe sometimes it's okay to be uncomfortable. Let's just say it. Yeah, it is. What about all of the people of color that are living or have lived Mm -hmm. or experienced similar situations? That was surely uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel like reading about it is the least amount of uncomfortable I can sacrifice for that. And then having to be like, oh, this is a thing that I lived and then watch other people try to obfuscate it. Yes. Ban. Yeah, having your lived experience be one that people are saying is this is inappropriate for people, we should hide it away has got to be well, a special kind of like painful. It seems like kind of salt in the wound. Right. So in honor of Band Books Week at McCullough, which is the branch where I work, we are going to set up a little photo station with a, like a mugshot kind of framing <laughs> so that you can come in and choose the book, especially if it's a book that you know has been banned or challenged, but it's not limited to that because as we say, almost any book's going to get challenged mm-hmm. in one way or another. Listen, Winnie the Pooh has been banned. Yep. Mm-hmm. Shel Silverstein has been banned. Uh, well, Where the Wild Things Are has been banned. So almost anything is going to receive a challenge. So even if it hasn't, and you want to stand up with that book, we're going to take your mugshot and put it under the frame of caught reading. <laughs> and that's going to be, um, that's what's going to be going on at McCullough on the, during the week of Band Books Week, which again is the 18th through the 24th of September. And on September 19th out at Red Bank uh, from four to five, we are going to be having sidewalk art for band books. So you can write down your favorite quotes from a band book. You can draw a cover from your band book using chalk on our sidewalks. All right. Well, it has been great talking with everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, or if you have a subject that you want us to talk about next time, email us at podcast at evpl.org. But this is us signing off. Thanks. Bye. Bye.